Good morning. After Sarah's uh, discussion of the scripture this morning, I guess I don't need to preach. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much for that. And uh, our passage this morning is the one from Luke 15, 11b through 32. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, Give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare but here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Oh, and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He is lo was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of the Lord. Speak to God. Well, what better way is there to honor fatherhood and the Trinity than this familiar story? On this Trinity Sunday, 
Falling on Father's Day, we get to hear from Jesus on the relationship of God, our Father, to his children. As something of a departure from my customary references, today I will be referring to God in the masculine rather than the non-gender specific pronouns I usually employ. No, God cannot be limited by gender, but as Jesus used the male pronouns, I will as well. Trinity is a difficult, if not impossible, subject to define in a truly meaningful way. The early church leaders more or less defined it in the two most ancient creeds, the Apostles and the Nicene, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For purposes of today's discussions, I will continue to follow in their wisdom, but remind each of you that the Trinity is one of those mysteries that human beings really cannot begin to understand. It is something that must be taken on faith as it cannot be objectively proven. My own earthly father described it to me once as the lover, the beloved, and the love which binds the two together. That love also binds us with them. I like that too, but again, the analogy can only be limited at best. But getting to our story, we see that the younger son receives his inheritance early and he runs off and wastes it on scandalous living. One might imagine living as a rock star or a young professional athlete, too young and inexperienced to truly handle money. If you had been the parent in the story, would you have given the child the money? In the first place, you're not finished using your own property yet, and you hadn't really even thought about splitting things up amongst your children. You might yet want to make other decisions about that property. So the request can really only be a cash transaction to be subtracted from any totals later on when you have passed and your will is being probated. At this point, the matter can only be an estimate. It was difficult to do in those days, and it's still difficult to do now. So why does the parent do it in this instance? Well, perhaps he knows that whether he gives the kid the money or not, the kid is leaving. Perhaps he wants to keep the relationship and the lines of communications open with this demonstration of love for his child. Does the parent worry that the child is making a mistake? You bet. Does his heart ache at the thought that he might never see his son again? Absolutely. It is a devastating thought. And for those of you who are parents, just ponder that for a minute. And what about the other son? By all accounts, he's the faithful one, at least in terms of doing what he's told. He has remained with the father in the letter of the law, if not by its spirit, for its entire life. He knows that according to the customs in place during Jesus' time, as the elder son, he will inherit the lion's share of the father's estate, as well as any business or financial gains. He is poised and ready to join the family business, working hard to assure its success and prosperity. He asks for little, 
but lives in a manner consistent with an heir to a fortune. This has to be one of the most difficult positions for any parent. Thrilled and happy about the success of one child while desperately straining to hear anything about the other. It is in the midst of such worry that the story takes a turn. In the story, the younger son realizes what he has done. He remembers that he had it very nice when he lived at home. And as much as he wanted to be free of the restrictions, his newfound freedom in this decadent lifestyle had been far less enjoyable than he had imagined it would be. He was now even going against all he had ever been taught and was breaking the laws of the God of his ancestors regarding mingling with unclean people and doing unclean things. You see, Jewish people were not supposed to be dealing with pigs. When in his mind's eye he looks back, his home was a much more inviting and welcoming place than his present location had ever been. When he realizes how he has sinned against his father and against the God of his ancestors, he resolves to return and beg to be put to work doing the most menial labor possible. He just wanted to come back and be with his family again. Of course, the father is beside himself with joy, as God is whenever one of his strayed children comes to himself and returns home, begging forgiveness and declaring a willingness to do any penance to get back with God's graces. But the father does not hear the apology or the request. He's too busy calling for celebrations over the return of this beloved child of his. He has lost nothing. He's still the child of his father, as we are children of God, our Heavenly Father, when we confess our sins and resolve to do better. Several of the other parables in the Bible indicate this joy on God's part when his children return to him. But the father in this story notices that the elder son, the one who has been carefully and faithfully obeying the rules all this time, is not joining in the festivities. He goes to this son and asks why. The son replies that in all these years he has done the father's bidding. He has never complained, never failed to do as he was instructed, and had never been celebrated the way the father was feigning over this returned son of yours. He doesn't even acknowledge the one who has returned is his brother. The father responds by reminding the elder child that it is his brother who has been lost but had made his way back home. Because of his ways, he had been dead to the family but was now returned and is part of them again. He implores the son to join the party, but departs without a response from the elder son. Of course, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees in this part of the parable. These were the learned men who diligently attempting to buy their salvation by obeying the letter of the law, rather than allowing its spirit to inform their actions. Their hearts weren't in it. They weren't doing it to show their love for God. 
They were doing it to demonstrate their piety and to maintain their standings of respect in the community. So I come back to the idea of Trinity that my own dad told me, the father in the story. And indeed, God himself is motivated only by love. The sons are the recipients of their father's love as we are all recipients of it through the Holy Spirit sent by God's beloved son, Jesus Christ. One son defied the father and wasted his talents and gifts on scandalous living, but was motivated in humility to seek his father's grace and forgiveness. The other son thought that obeying the rules to the letter all these years should stand for something, and he's jealous of the attention and glorification being given to the younger son. He cannot seem to bring himself to share in the giving of grace to the younger brother, as he himself had been given by his father's grace to live in such finery all these years. The parable does not tell us whether the elder son goes to the party or not. We do know that during Jesus' earthly life and for some time after, the Pharisees did not recognize what Jesus had been telling them in this story. We can only know that at times we are each son. Sometimes we squander our talents and gifts on wasteful or even scandalous endeavors. Our being here can be an indication that we have seen some of the errors of our ways and continue to see them and continue to beg God for forgiveness. Sometimes, unfortunately, we can be the jealous older brother who does not seem to realize that all sins are abhorrent to God and our brother's sins are not worse than our own. Sometimes we don't understand how certain folks can possibly be forgiven for what they've done. Sometimes we don't want to go to the party when one of these sinners is welcomed home. We have to deal with our own consciences in that decision. But in all cases, our Father remains the same. He loves his children so much that he sent his beloved son to die and rise from the dead, thereby forgiving the most heinous of sins from those with truly penitent hearts who confess these sins to him with the promise that they will learn from their mistakes or that we will learn from ours. He loves the rest of us too, but is profoundly disappointed when we cannot express his joy and grace when such sinner is welcomed home. A man had two sons. Which one are we? May all glory, honor, and power be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. We will now join our voices in singing of hymn number 36.